Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning, Riverwood family. What a great Sunday to be here. Uh, We're going to be doing baptisms a little bit later in this service. A great day to be here to celebrate. Before we get to that, I'm going to tell you a story. We're going to look at God's word together. Um, Before I uh, went to seminary, I went to the University of Akron in the business school. And I had many a class that talked about ROI. What does that stand for? Let's all say it together. Return on investment. I mean, that's what really made the business school go around, the return on investment. In its simplest way, it's an equation. Uh, Basically, you're trying to maximize profits. You're trying to get as little costs involved so that you can have a greater ROI. You can compare these things to see what you should be investing in. Now, All of us are drawn to money, drawn to wealth. And so today, as a public service to everybody who is here, I have captured the top four ways guaranteed to make a quick buck this holiday season. We're all looking for a little extra money, I'm sure. And so you have gathered here. I'm going to give you four ideas that are great on the ROI, high profit, low cost. You ready? Number one. Befriend a very rich relative. <laughs> right? I mean, think about the, the potential profit here. And all it's going to cost you is a phone call, uh, maybe a couple lunches together. Idea number one, buddy up with the rich relative. Here's another one that's guaranteed to rake it in. You ready? Idea number two, rent out your backyard. Just rent it out. Maybe don't even provide the tent. Just rent it out. Anyone's backyard look like that? I like to go camping there. All right. Uh, Idea number two. I don't know. Maybe you have an idea there. Number three. This one comes courtesy of Pastor Jeff Haynes. This one is bet on uh, the Browns to lose. Okay, I know. Pastor Jeff is a Colts fan, so just so you know that. Um, but I don't know. It should have probably a conversation about pastors recommending gambling or somewhere along the ways there, too. So. But idea number four that I saw on the Internet was teach your dog tricks so that you can then rent yourself out for holiday parties. So uh, let's go to the video. Here is me and my dog, Trigger. There he is playing dead. Roll over. There he is rolling over. Stay. There he is staying. Stay, stay, stay. stay. The temptation. (laughs) All right, we are booking now for the holidays. Booking now. If you need that trick at your holiday party, let me know. But all of us are interested in money at some level. All of us are interested in in making more money, ROI. We care about these things. 
But here's the conversation we're going to have this morning. Out of the book of James, he is going to talk to us about wealth. But here's the thing James is going to really teach us. He doesn't care about your bank account. He doesn't care about your 401k. He doesn't care about how much cryptocurrency you have. He doesn't care about that. James wants to go to a deeper place on this conversation about wealth. He wants to go here. He wants to talk about your heart. Your heart. Where is your heart in the midst of means, in the midst of wealth? Which is a very fitting conversation for a crowd like this. May God's word speak to us about money. Money, money, money. What does he have to to tell us. Let's open up God's word together. We're, we're in the book of James, by the way. If you're newer to our church, a very special welcome. We're glad you're here. We walk through books of the Bible, and we are in the midst of a great series in the book of James. We're now in the fourth chapter, and last week, I'm just going to kind of remind you, uh, we had this passage that, I, that we ended with. I said this was kind of like the Louisiana, like all y'all, all y'all, all of us need to be people who are drawing near to God. That is for all of us. Draw near to God, cleanse our hands, purify our hearts, humble ourselves, and allow God to be the one who exalts us. And now on the heels of that, this is what James, this is how he continues in chapter 4 in verse 13. He says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. All right. So in the ancient context, that this was written in, this is what God's people are, are facing. And many times they're facing trials. I mean, going back to the very first uh, chapter, very first verses, James talks about all the various trials that people face. And this was one of them that was dominant. You can tell because it's mentioned often in the book of James, the financial woes, the financial burden. And just so you know, there is no middle class in this context. You are either poor or you had means and you were wealthy. The poor people, we're talking about those who basically ate what they grew. Everything was, was hand to mouth. If you had a, a bad day, you didn't eat. I mean, it was that kind of setting. On the other hand, there were people who, in the church... They had uh, a little extra. They are people who had means. There was wealth there. How do I know this? Well, I'm looking now at the verse, and these are the kinds of things that were happening. And right here, you can tell they were. There were some people who said, "We let's go today, tomorrow. We're going to go into such and such a town." And so they are people. We can tell they had means because they had the ability to go from point A to point B. How far away was it? I'm not quite sure, but they could, they could make it. They could get there, which was saying something in the ancient world. All right, so they had means that way. How wealthy, other things do we see here in this verse? We also see that they had the ability to not only go to point B, but they could exist there. Lodging, food costs, got it covered. We could make that happen. 
All right. And then the last thing that speaks of the kind of wealth is that they are the kinds of people who had uh, goods to trade uh, with, to trade for. I mean, there was something of means that they had. So this is in this verse here, verse 13. This is what one might have overheard the merchants saying. This is a typical kind of thing they were, they were saying. And when you look at the verse, you're thinking, well, there's not a lot there. But let me tell you, there is there's something very dangerous going on in these words. There's something very problematic. Because in the midst of these words, there's a lot of presumption. There's some arrogance going on. There is boasting. There is pride and Really, this conversation about the heart, there's something revealing about the heart of those who say these kinds of things. And what did it sound like? It sounded boastful, like, today, tomorrow, oh, it doesn't matter. When are we traveling? Today, tomorrow, we'll get it together. And we're going over there. Yeah, it's a long way. Got it. When we get there, we're going to make it. Making a profit? (laughs) Of course we are. Of course, everything is ours for the taking. That's what's going on here in this verse. And so their heart was saying something. And this is what wealth is is now speaking. There's a voice of wealth that is influencing the heart. And many times it makes people sound smarter than they really are. It makes them think that they're stronger than they really are. There is an independence that is built upon having means, having wealth, and that is what's happening here. There is a boastful arrogance that is happening in the hearts of the people who were the merchants in the church. All right, so I don't know if you were aware, but Bill Gates had a birthday this past week. He turned 66. How do I know this? Because it's all over the news that he was on his yacht celebrating. I have a picture of his yacht. 350-foot yacht, by the way. That's pretty big. Now, he was in some kind of Turkish cove celebrating, and the notable story as well is that he had people come to his yacht to celebrate. Uh, Jeff Bezos was on that list, and the story there is he was on his yacht that has a helicopter that then flew to the party. They hung out for a few hours. He then flew to Scotland. He was the expert on climate change and goes on. The story just keeps going on and on. Now, I tell you that story because you see how easy it happens. Our our society promotes this, that we listen and we follow after people who have means. They're the smart ones. We should listen to them. They're the ones who are powerful. They're the ones who are independent. Whatever they're doing, we're fascinated with those people who have that kind of wealth. It's that same kind of idea that also seeps its way into church. Remember, James was saying, oh, you want the, the one who has all the gold coin, all the gold uh, on his fingers to come sit down in the nice seating. James says, beware, beware. 
just because people have means, just because wealth speaks to them to say they're smarter than you and that they are more independent and stronger, beware. That, that is a dangerous narrative to allow wealth to speak to your heart in that way. So what's the answer? How do you, how do you answer that? This is where God's word is going to help us. In verse 14, there's going to be a question in the midst of this that is going to be staring at us. It's a very poignant question. Very interesting. This is what James says. He continues on. He says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. For people who have their eyes fixed on ROI, big profits, minimizing costs, getting the best deals, whose heart can be drawn to this narrative of wealth, James is, is cutting right to the chase. And he says, I need, I need you to answer something. And here's, here's the, the, the question. A lot of times it's, we answer the question that's kind of a, akin to this, like, how's life going? How, how is life? Oh, life is great. And talk about our jobs. We talk about the weather. We talk about the browns. We talk about all of these things. How's life? Very common. That's not the question James wants us to answer. Staring at us is this question. What is your life? Oh, never thought about it like that. What, what is my life? Now, for the merchants who are here in the original context, I'm guessing their answer would have been something like this. My life is mine. I am a profit machine, pleasure-seeking. I will do whatever I want. My life is mine. That's really their mantra. That's their answer. And what James wants to point out is really the folly, the foolishness of that kind of answer. Oh, don't say that. And he has something before the question and something after the question that really help kind of right the ship on what we should really believe. Again, we're wanting to hear something that will help our heart. Wealth is speaking its narrative, and now there's something else speaking to us. And the first part is in right before the sentence. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You think you're so smart. You think you got it all figured out, all calculated. But do you really know what tomorrow will bring? You, you pretend to have this omniscience like God but come on. March 11th, 2020 was probably one of the oddest days that we all lived through. I call this the BC day before COVID. It was on that day that the world started to strangely change. And so I was like, I wonder what I was doing on this day, thinking about what was about to happen in a normal day. So I went back to March 11th to all of my emails, and I was like, what emails did I send? What emails did I get on March 11th? Because you remember, that night got crazy, and everything went in a different direction. And so on March 11th, I got this email from Pastor Jeff. 
Now, I show you this picture because in our office, we have a contest to see who can do the best during March Madness. And we have this whole bracket uh, thing. And, and Jeff was sending this out, and he was making fun of all of us on staff saying, look, I won in 17, uh, or in 18, I won in 19, and I'm probably going to win this year too. Well, little did he know that the world was going to change. There was going to be uh, cancellations of school, cancellations of of church. March madness. It wasn't going to happen this year. There's going to be rationing of toilet paper. I mean, who saw that coming? All of these things that we thought we knew. You see, James is here to remind us of this truth. You think you know what tomorrow's going to be like. Be careful. Be careful in your boastful arrogance. What is your life? What is it? You have assumed way too much. Now, on the back half of the question, there's also another piece he wants us, another piece of sobering reality. Not only are we the people who have all of the things that we think we know, but we're also the people who have this independence, this power. Wealth speaks to us, and it gives us this kind of invincibility. But notice what he says. Do you realize what you're really like? Do, I mean, do you realize what your life is like? It is like a vapor. You are like the, the fog on top of the, the pond in the morning. And as the sun comes up, you're gone. You're gone. It's that fragile. It is that quick. You were one breath away. You are one heartbeat away. Every single one of us. And we try to suppress that truth. I mean, cognitively, we are like, yeah, I know that, but I don't like to think about it. As a pastor, I'm around enough people that when that moment comes for a loved one, it's always like, shocking. I can't believe that such and such isn't here anymore. And it is. There's, there's a shock to it because we have suppressed this idea that we're fragile. We really are fragile. These last 18 months, we've really felt that fragility, haven't we? I mean, COVID was something that was way out there on other continents. And then month by month, it started getting closer and closer. We started hearing about it. Oh, in the United States and in Ohio and in our neighborhood and even in our own families. And even within our own church family, there's a number of people who have walked through very difficult moments in wrestling with COVID. There's a younger family in our church, uh, young kids, young family in their 30s, and wrestling in hard, hard ways with COVID-19 and doing better. And so as I was thinking about this passage, I I reached out to him and I said, read these verses and just give me some of your insight in walking this close 
in your COVID story. And so these are his words. He said, recently I battled COVID and pneumonia in the ICU while my wife was home with COVID too. From completely healthy with no health issues or symptoms one day to being miserably sick the next morning to then being in the ICU receiving a very grim prognosis the next week. We saw firsthand the fleeting nature of our days. The plans we had quickly evaporated like a mist. And we were left with nothing else other than the sobering reminder that God's grace and mercy was giving me another day of life. As I am now recovering and regaining strength, I am able to see God's hand of healing on my life and the testimony he will use for his glory. The reality of our humanity and the nature of God we see in James 4 is that our gracious and sovereign God is the one holding and sustaining our lives, and our response should be one of humble submission, gratitude, and worship. Yes! Exactly! He's the one who is sovereign, and we're not. And so James says, you think you're so smart. You think you're so invincible. Really, what is your life? And so verse 13 is what the merchants were saying from their heart. Wrong things, boastful arrogance. Verse 14 is that reality check of really what God wants us to know. And now verses 15 and 16 are new words. New words that, sh- that should come from our hearts. Notice what he says. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is, notice the word, evil. Oh, we're to have new words. And some people read this and they're like, oh, that means every time I make a plan, if I just tag on Lord willing, it's going to happen. Anyone know people like that? Like, I'm going, I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. Uh, I'm going to take a trip to the mailbox, Lord willing. I'm going to drink this glass of water. I mean, this tack on Lord willing to everything. Is that, that's not what James is saying. Actually, we had somebody on staff here who is my friend. Her name was Shannon. She was from the South. She's passed on. She's with the Lord. But at the end of the workday, many times I'd say, I'll see you tomorrow, Shannon. And she would say, see you tomorrow, Lord willing, and if the crick don't rise. (laughs) Which always perplexed me. Like, wait, God isn't in charge of the crick? Or, like, is he, like, he can't work that out? Anyway, I was confused until I Googled it, and uh, we have Johnny Cash to blame uh, for that, just so you know. And again, this is not what James is pushing for. He, he wants us to not just walk around saying, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing. He wants this to seep into our hearts, that we become people who hold our plans and our lives very loosely. I will do this. I am going to do that. I'm going to go here. Lord willing. 
knowing that he is the one who is in charge of today. He's in charge of tomorrow. He's in charge of next year, five years, 10 years. Everything could change, and that's okay because he is the one I am connected to. All right, so you hear all of these words so far, and you probably have some questions that you're thinking about. I know I would, and I did as I was studying, and you might be thinking, well, is it wrong to make plans? Maybe that's the, the issue. Maybe we should just live our life without plans. Well, that's not really what God's word directs us to, just so you know. We need to be people who are planning. For instance, in the New Testament, when you read all of the New Testament letters, you are reading plans, itineraries. The Apostle Paul was a planner. He planned and planned and planned. And notice this in, in one of his letters. It says that he, uh, one of the, the collections in Acts, he said he came to Ephesus. He left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for longer, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. All right, here are my plans. I'm going to go do this, but the Lord might change that. He might. So that's the wisdom from the New Testament. And there's even wisdom in the Old Testament as well. Uh, Proverbs, the book of wisdom, even says something very similar. The writer would say, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord. You see that? Commit your work to... I am going to do this unto the Lord. And it might change, but I'm committing my work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. See, the, the wisdom of living life in ways where we see the Lord being the one who is ultimately in charge. There was a phrase that came out in a commentary. I think it's brilliant. Um, he said, we should be living our lives with divine contingency. Divine contingency. Like, I am planning to do this, but there might be a divine contingency that says, no, go here, do this, don't do that. And we are listening. Well, how? How do we listen? How do we know what the Lord is speaking to us? It's right here. Right here. A lot of times people are like, what is the will of God? I don't know what the will of God is. It's revealed right here. You want to know how to live life as a, a student in your school, how to treat schoolmates, how to treat teachers, how to treat authority. It's right here. God's will is very clear. You want to know how you should treat your neighbors in your neighborhood, what you should do. Like, I'm not quite sure. What is the Lord's will in my neighborhood? It's right here. What is the Lord's will as someone who is single? How do I act? How do I engage? It's right here. How do I know God's will as someone who is married? It's right here. See, this is God's will. This is how he helps direct our plans and direct our lives and to steer the ship of our own plans and direction. 
So my prayer is that we would be the kinds of people who are living day by day, seeking the will of God through his word. All right, so that's one of the questions. Like, I was thinking, like, how do you make plans? Ah, you make plans. You go forward in the wisdom of God's word. All right, here's another question, because I think some people might be thinking, this sounds very dangerous. It sounds like it's very easy to do it wrong. Like, you hear the whispering of the wealth, and the narrative of wealth, and it is evil, and it's deceptive, and, and you might be thinking, maybe it would be better to do nothing. Maybe that's the safest place. This is way too dangerous. I'm just going to take a step back out of life, and I am going to do nothing. No planning, no nothing. I'm just going to sit here and watch it happen. Is that what we should be doing as Christ followers? And this is where the next verse that James has for us speaks very directly to this. If you're thinking, I'm just going to kind of just take a seat back in the back seat, he says this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, this, is a, this phrase should stop all of us right here. For him it is sin. Wait a second. I know I should do this for my neighbor. I know I should be this kind of husband. I, I know I should be this kind of student. I, I know that. I know it's right, but I'd rather just kind of sit back and, and not do that. That's okay, right? And what James is saying is, no, that too is dangerous. We can't be the people who are just sitting back and, and letting it happen. And even Jesus made this very clear he would use stories to teach people. And there was one story that he taught where this was very, very clear. He said um, there was a, a master who had some servants, and he gave them some, some money. He gave them what he called talents. And to one he gave five, and to another he gave two, and to one he gave one. All right, what did they do with it? Well, the five, the one who had five, he went and multiplied it. The one who had two, he went out and multiplied it. The one who had one, you remember the story of what he did. Right here in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says it right here. These are his words. He said, Master, <laughs> I knew something about you. I'm pretty smart. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. That's the kind of, I've made that assumption about you. So I was afraid. And I went and, yep, I hid that talent in the ground. I didn't do anything with it. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You thought it would be better just to sit in the back and do nothing. Don't you realize too much is given, much is expected. I've placed so much into your hands. What are you doing with it? I've given you so much resource and time and wealth. What are you doing with it? Is it about your kingdom and what you want? Or is it about mine? 
See, that's really the, the conversation we're coming down to here at the end. James is saying, how are you following the Lord with your wealth? Is it your story of independence and arrogance and it's all about me, me, me? Or is there a real humility in realizing that he's the one who gives all good gifts? He is the one who is in control. He is the one we follow after. Boastful arrogance in our wealth or, or, or are we the people who are boasting in the Lord? That's really the simple conversation. What are our hearts boasting about? My prayer is that we would be a church that boasts in the Lord. Yes, he has entrusted a lot into many of our lives. Let's use it for his glory. Let's hold our hands open not with tight grips on our wealth, but open-handed to say, where are you leading? Give me the plans for your kingdom. Let me see the things you want me to see so that I can bring glory to you. May we all be challenged in this as people of means, of people who have wealth here on a Sunday morning. What is the Lord speaking to you? Is he whispering something of challenge See, we don't want to be just hearers of the word. He's challenging us to be doers. May we go into a deeper place of thinking and reflecting of where we need to take those next steps. I want to pray for us as we continue in our worship this morning. Dear Lord, we have come to you um, this morning to hear from your word. Even our prayer at the very beginning was, Speak, O Lord. Not speak Pastor Cole, but speak Lord. That is my prayer, that your spirit is, is challenging us to hear the things you want us to hear. May we be uh, the church that is boasting in the things of Christ. Wow, we have so much to say. Your grace, your mercy, your love that is unending. May we speak of it often. And in the same way, you have entrusted different gifts and talents and wealth. May we use all of it to bring glory to you. We thank you, even in a moment where we can worship and, and think more, allow the words of this song to challenge us in our relationship with you. Please, we give you thanks. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.